Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Can I tell you a cool story? Hey hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible where we lean into God's story together to better live out our own life and work stories, including this brief intro story about being on mission. Regular listeners will know that I take seriously that we are all called, all called to be both goers and senders. And usually when talking about senders, when that gets preached, that kind of thing gets preached as financial support. But today, I heard from listener Chris, whom I don't otherwise know, and he pointed out that the podcast today had the right title, but yesterday's audio. (laughs) 20 minutes later, it's fixed, and a whole lot of other people were served by the fact that Chris just sent me a text message. So thank you, Chris. And that, my friends, is ministry together. If you didn't even know that there was an issue, well, you can thank Chris for that. (laughs) Hey, uh, our New Testament segment today is Romans 7, and since each of the last couple days we've summarized Romans so far, let me just remind you that chapters 5 through 8 are Paul's argument that our righteousness, which is entirely by faith, results in hope, biblical hope. And just like yesterday, we heard Paul argue for the triumph of grace over sin, and that that grace is not a license to sin, today, We'll hear his argument for the triumph of grace over the power of the law, and that the law is not a synonym for sin, right? To the contrary, the law is a good thing as it reveals the sinfulness of the capacity that resides in each person, and deliverance from the sinful conditions that the law reveals, of course, is found in Jesus. Romans chapter 7. Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. Then, if she's married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, had not said, Do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. 
Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it. But it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. And that is Romans chapter 7. Mm. I love how Paul just kind of brings in that whole renewal of the mind thing in a really practical way. A couple of days ago, I talked about tensions. And uh, so here's where we're at, right? Yesterday, we heard that we're free from sin, yet we must still battle against it. And today, we hear that we're free from the law, but are not free from its criteria for righteousness. And tomorrow we will hear that we are free from death as well as, well, <laughs> we will continue to long for the redemption of the body. And that, my friends, is our now and not yet reality. Turning our attention to the Old Testament, today we finish up Jeremiah's lament. And to remind you of how the five chapters of Lamentations unfold and, uh, and the context of today, here's kind of the big picture of the five chapters how lonely sits the city. God has set Zion under a cloud. I am the man who has seen affliction. How the gold has grown dim. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. Oh, and one other thing. Listen today for where Jeremiah lays blame. I just think this is kind of interesting. That said, Lamentations. Chapters 4 and 5. How the gold has become tarnished, the fine gold become dull. The stones of the temple lie scattered at the head of every street. 
Zion's precious children, once worth their weight in pure gold, how they are regarded as clay jars, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my dear people have become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The nursing baby's tongue clings to the roof of his mouth from thirst. Infants beg for food, but no one gives them any. Those who used to eat delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those who were reared in purple garments huddle in trash heaps. The punishment of my dear people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in an instant without a hand laid on it. Her dignitaries were brighter than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral, their appearance like lapis lazuli. Now they appear darker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become dry like wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those slain by hunger, who waste away, pierced with pain because the fields lack produce. The hands of compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became their food during the destruction of my dear children. The Lord has exhausted his wrath, pouring out his burning anger. He has ignited a fire in Zion, and it has consumed her foundations. The kings of the earth and all the world's inhabitants did not believe that an enemy or an adversary could enter Jerusalem's gates. Ding, ding, ding. Catch this, my friends. Here it is. In fact, I'm going to repeat that last verse. The kings of the earth and all the world's inhabitants did not believe that an enemy or adversary could enter Jerusalem's gates. Yet it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed the blood of the righteous within her. Blind, they stumbled in the streets, defiled by this blood, so that no one dared to touch their garments. Stay away, unclean, people shouted at them. Away, don't touch us. So they wandered aimlessly. It was said among the nations, they can no longer stay here. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are not respected. The elders find no favor. All the while our eyes were failing as we looked in vain for help, we watched from our towers for a nation that would not save us. Our steps were closely followed so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end approached, our time ran out, our end had come. Those who chased us were swifter than eagles in the sky. They relentlessly pursued us over the mountains and ambushed us in the wilderness. The Lord's anointed, the breath of our life, was captured in their traps. We had said about him, we will live under his protection among the nations. So rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom, you residents of the land of Uz. Yet the cup will pass to you as well. You will get drunk and expose yourself. Daughter Zion, your punishment is complete. He will not lengthen your exile, but he will punish your iniquity, daughter Edom, and will expose your sins. All right, this is changing into chapter 5, and you'll hear kind of a little change of tone and pace. Lord, Remember what has happened to us. 
Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must pay for the water we drink. Our wood comes at a price. We are closely pursued. We are tired and no one offers us rest. We made a treaty with Egypt and with Assyria to get enough food. Our ancestors sinned. They no longer exist, but we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us. No one rescues us from them. We secure our food at the risk of our lives because the Lord, because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven from the ravages of hunger. Women have been raped in Zion, virgins in the cities of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men labor at millstones. Boys stumble under loads of wood. The elders have left the city gate. The young men, their music. Joy has left our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is sick. Because of these, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate and has jackals prowling in it. You, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you continually forget us and abandon us for our entire lives? Lord, bring us back to yourself so that we may return. Renew our days as in former times, unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. And my friends, that wraps up Lamentations. I always forget how awesome that little book is, uh, largely because... I don't know about you, but I can't read that without just seeing that all around me here and now. You know, people trusting the wrong things and leaders and teachers telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. In a way, you might say that there is no place like home, particularly once it's gone. And I love Lamentations because it's like permission to ask hard questions like, Lord, are you really? Are all the prophets nincompoops? Lord, even today, why are there so many churches filled with people listening to preachers who play fast and loose with your word? But even as we ask hard questions, we still have hope and we can offer praise even in the midst of junk and his mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. My friends, today we're going to wrap up with our wisdom segment, which is a psalm that expresses a similar lament, lament for the exiles. And one warning, there is a rather jolting last verse as an ending. So if you have little ears listening, uh, now is a good time to use duct tape or turn this off, your choice. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There we hung up our lyres on the poplar trees. For our captors there asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for rejoicing, saying, Sing us one of the songs in Zion. 
How can we sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem as my greatest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites said that day at Jerusalem. They said, destroy it, destroy it, down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. And that, my friends, is Psalm 37. And that, my friends, is an Old Testament era heart cry for both God's justice and reconciliation or restoration of hope. Right? Listen to that that verse that says, If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. It'd be kind of like you and me going, If I forget the hope and promise of new heaven and new earth, transformed bodies, sinless world where there there are no more tears. May my right hand forget its skill. Yeah, we might express it differently today, but we still long for the evil in the world to be answered, right? Well, the good news is, (laughs) the good news, besides the good news, is that I've read the end of the book and, spoiler alert, justice is coming. And it's by the power of grace. Grace over sin. Grace over the law. Grace over even death itself. That should give us hope. That should make us glad and rejoice because Jesus paid it all. Amen. Amen.